Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode five of On the Fly, the official Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, providing in-flight insight for all Pella fans out there. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and as always, I'm here with Pelicans expert Michael Pelichet, and today we're joined by our second special guest in our podcast's infancy, and he's Jake Madison. You can find him on Twitter, at Nola Jake. Jake's the host of Locked On Pels. That's his own Pelicans podcast. You can check out by visiting LockedOnPelicans.com. If you just can't get enough Pelicans coverage, that is. Jake has been around the team a lot in the last few years, and he should provide some interesting information in today's episode. And we'll get into training camp nuggets and preseason takeaways. But first, let's introduce Jake here. Jake, thanks for coming on On The Fly today. Of course. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Happy to come on and talk some hoops. Yeah, and so just a little tidbit, Jake was actually, uh, so this is on the fly, and Jake was actually uh, ran on the fly with me years ago before I I, I was going to say, right? <laughs> I disappeared for like two years because I hated Twitter so much, and uh, <laughs> before then, Jake and I hosted this podcast, and uh, yeah, it's good to have you on, man. Yeah, no, happy to do this. When you were like, come on, I was like, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> we're getting the band back together kind of here. Yeah, man. So, well, let's jump right into it, and, and let's talk about, I mean, so the preseason game happened yesterday. You know, all indications seem to be that this was at least a very happy team, like a pretty nice culture, sort of a new environment for the Pelicans to just build something, it's just built something new. I mean, from what you've seen is that an accurate assessment? Because like you've been behind the scenes throughout all of this training camp and, and preseason. You know, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, if you're looking at just kind of I don't know the general feeling inside the organization, it is significantly different than it's really ever been before. And I started covering this team in Dell Dumps's first year, so kind of here for that tenure and the entirety of it. It goes back to even him just being fired. I, you know, I can tell you the moment he was fired, it was like a black cloud lifted up over that organization and dissipated. And it just things changed immediately. And it wasn't just something that was felt by the coaching staff, the rest of the guys in the front office, many of whom are still there working under David Griffin now. But that kind of filtered down to ticket reps, other people in the organization, ushers. It's just been a complete change kind of going with a brand new chapter from him being fired. And now David Griffin coming in, who's a guy who seems really intent on building culture of the organization in the way that he wants more of a family type atmosphere, a more open type atmosphere. And you've seen it. It's kind of permeated everything that they're doing from those ushers to the ticket sales department, to the coaching staff, to the front office. And, you know, you could see it kind of evident on media day. Everyone was just a little bit lighter. Everyone was a little bit happier. And it seems like they're kind of going in the direction that they want to. And it seems like it's a very good thing yeah I mean 
Jake, I want to get into your preseason takeaways from last night's game, of course. I know we have another game soon, but training camp comes first. Let's kind of work chronologically here. What stood out to you in training camp? It's just, you know, everything that the team's trying to do, and they're really trying to instill a new defensive style of ball, bringing in Jeff Bizdelic from the Houston Rockets. They're not doing that same, like, switching scheme anymore. So you've got, you know, six holdovers from last year's roster. So you've got a ton of new faces in. All of these guys just kind of really being eager to learn and really buying into everything that the team is trying to do. You have guys getting to the facility earlier than normal. You had guys getting to the facility before training camp even started in the weeks and months leading up to that really buying into trying to be as good of a basketball team as possible get some of these fundamentals down and you kind of see them in training camp, you know, really going through the defensive drills. There's more coaches on this staff than there ever have been before. They basically have a coach for more or less each player. They're kind of getting in the mix of it, and it creates just this different atmosphere than we've seen before. Obviously, pushing the pace and doing drills on how to get out in transition and play as quick as possible has been a big point of emphasis for this team. Played about 18% of their offense in transition last year. They want to blow that number out of the water and see kind of the coaching staff try and instill that from the get-go and drill those fundamentals down to this team I think has been really intriguing yeah there's a lot to install here because I believe 12 out of the 18 active players on the roster are new have never played for the Pelicans before or entering their first season at least uh, I believe that number's correct so obviously there's a lot to work out from a chemistry standpoint there's a lot to work out from in installing playbook that kind of stuff um, I'm, it, you mentioned that some of the Pelicans were showing up earlier and I've worked for uh, an NFL team before and I, I've always liked this kind of stuff because I think that fans really like to hear more in-depth thing about what's going on actually inside the locker room. And you might have knowledge of that. What are some of the players that you were kind of alluding to that, uh, kind of show up really early and, you know, hit the weight room and are really kind of devoted to their craft. Yeah, I mean, so Jaleel Okafor is probably the first and foremost name that jumps to my mind with that. That's a guy who, you know, last season was about to be out of the NBA and really worked on kind of getting him in the right headspace, the the mental health aspect of everything. And then he worked on nutrition and now he's kind of working on his sleeping habits. And he's talked a lot wow. about that, how he's just kind of like reinvented his body in a way. And now he gets to the facility earlier than anyone else pretty much because he feels so well refreshed in the morning and he's not sleeping into the last minute possible to just try and catch up on sleep he wakes out of bed at like 5 30 in the morning good to go with a ton of energy which means he gets to the facility works out early same thing with drew holiday he's one of the first guys that are out there you know when he was working out on the west coast with a number of the pelicans players this offseason you know those guys were waking up early hitting it hard and continuing throughout the day so you have a number of these guys that are really dedicated to being the best player possible and these are some of the guys who are the leaders on the team particularly in drew holiday yeah right. i'm loving this right now i mean this really makes me excited about them and it actually it really makes me want to root for these types of players when i know that they're putting in the work like that yeah and and jake you talked about drew a second ago it's something that david griffin has, has talked about a whole lot this offseason and i think more recently i, I want to say it was gentry that was saying that it's going to be a different sort of leadership role for Drew, who is typically more lead by example, 
rather than being outspoken. You know, have you seen, like, despite the fact that, you know, obviously, like you said, he's getting out there and being a leader by example, have you noticed that difference in him or has it been more of the same? So, you know, Gentry said and Griffin has said that he needs to be, you know, that vocal guy and it's going to be a little bit of a change. And then at media day, he kind of just said like, no, I'm going to be the guy I've always been, which is lead by example and kind of just go out and do it on the court and with my level of play. And he's going to play at a high level, which everyone's going to try and match. So it kind of goes and accomplishes that. And then a little bit later, David Griffin said, yeah, there's an opportunity for a vocal leader on the team. We need someone to kind of step into that role. So as much as this, uh, there's that talk of it being Drew Holiday. I just don't think that's him. And I think this is a team and an organization that doesn't want to force someone into a role that maybe they're just not comfortable with or won't be as effective as possible with. And we saw this. We, we wanted AD to be that vocal leader for years and years and years. And he never was. And because we all wanted him to do that and he wasn't doing it, people were kind of disappointed in him, which probably created some of the issues we had last year with the team. So maybe it's a good thing that we're not, you know, that they're not forcing guys into roles that they're not comfortable with. A guy who has stepped up into that role is Kenrich Williams, who was an undrafted free agent last year, made the team kind of in training camp when none of us really expected it. And now with, um, as you said, there's 12 new guys, six holdovers from last year, that he's an, an elder statesman on the team, despite being here for one year. He's been a very vocal guy in practice, in their drills, kind of helping some of these younger guys, or the new guys, kind of be where they need to. He's kind of stepped into that kind of like vocal leader role, which has been a little bit unexpected. But given that we don't know what his contribution on the court's going to be, it's good he kind of shifted into that and kind of found a spot that really works for him and this roster. Yeah, that definitely wouldn't have been someone that I would have anticipated being a vocal leader. I mean, is there anything else like, so besides Kenridge, is there anything else that you feel like isn't being talked about, but is actually a pretty important thing in terms of the season? Um, I mean, sure. There's certainly like, you know, you know, a number of different things, you know, it's talked about, I guess the, the Duke uh, contingent, they have five guys there and it being a brotherhood and they talk about it openly and often, I think is really a big thing with all of these guys kind of transitioning to this team or straight up transitioning to the NBA, having anything that makes that easier for Zion Williamson, I think is a big thing. And that kind of goes for him developing chemistry off the court with guys like Nikhil Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes. And all of those three rookies hanging out, acting like they're a recruiting class, having so much fun off the court, they really feel that by getting to know each other well off the court, it's only going to lead to greater success when they're all on the court together, which maybe you won't see from those three guys all that often, but it should translate to some success. So overall, I think just kind of the culture that they're building here that really starts at the top with David Griffin referring to this as a family has been a really big thing. The other thing I think, you know, David Griffin gets a lot of the credit here and as he should he's in charge of the basketball side of things but you know, there's only so much competitive advantage you can get on the court over other teams because there's a salary cap and different things like that. But one competitive advantage, which goes unchecked, which you're really seeing more and more in the NBA is ownership. And you have Gail Benson investing into this team more so than she ever has before and more so than a lot of other owners in the league. David Griffin coming in was not cheap. 
at all. This guy's probably making an exorbitant salary, which he probably deserves. The renovations to the practice facility, which is only about five years old, was about $10 million. Look at all the new coaches that they've hired who have Hall of Fame on their resume. They're not coming cheap. Imagine all the equipment that's got to go in now and everything kind of involved with that and trying to make this a destination. And you have ownership putting money into the team and staying away and not meddling with things, which maybe they had been a little bit to a degree before. And you're seeing kind of this that breed success here as you've got a basketball guy running everything. Look at the Knicks with James Dolan, who didn't want to hire David Griffin because he thought it, Griffin shouldn't have final say on all basketball-related moves because maybe James Dolan himself knew a little bit more than David Griffin. That has not worked out for the Knicks. So seeing ownership kind of invest into this team, buy into this team more so than they ever have before, which is somewhat of a blessing in disguise from the Anthony Davis uh, you know, trade-requested fiasco, which kind of woke up ownership, I think has been a really big thing. And that more than anything else might be what leads this team to sustain success. Right. Yeah. We talked about that on the last podcast, actually, where we were talking about how they brought in trainer Aaron Aaron Nelson. And there were all kinds of different things that management, even up at the very top, I mean, Miss Gail Benson there has done to put this team in a position to succeed. It sounds like to you, uh, to me, that this Duke kind of joke that's going around New Orleans right now is kind of making it into the locker room. And maybe it's more than just a little inside joke. Maybe it's something, you know, like you said, anything that can develop chemistry is good. You mentioned the two, well, the three rookies. Zion Williamson called it in his on media day, he called it a college tour between he, Jackson Hayes, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'm interested in the expectations you have for uh, the latter two, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes. Uh, I know they will be brought along more slowly than Zion, obviously, uh, but I'm interested to see what your expectations are on those two players this season. Yeah, I think it kind of falls in line maybe a little bit with what the Pelicans kind of have as an expectation. You know, I was high on Jackson Hayes going into the draft in a mock draft I did for the Locked On Podcast Network. I took him after I hypothetically traded away Anthony Davis with a first-round pick I got back from the Celtics in that because I was so excited to pair him and Zion Williamson together. But he's raw, and we all know he's raw, and there's a reason David Griffin said that this year was being looked at as maybe a bit of a redshirt year for him where he will spend some time in the G League or really just kind of maybe growing into his body a little bit more, developing some of those baseline skills you need to really be a successful player in the NBA, like a jumper or a back-to-the-basket game, something he doesn't have either of those right now. But then you kind of saw him in Summer League, and man, that dude has so much energy. You might need to give him more NBA minutes than you were expecting because he brings that to the court and it's kind of infectious. Cech Diallo was not a good player for New Orleans the past couple of years, and that's why he's no longer with the team. But that guy kind of brought something when you threw him out on the court with the energy he provided to his teammates, whether it was three or four minutes and that's all he was playing. And there's something to be said to have a guy who can kind of do that. And I think that could be that role that Jackson Hayes plays this coming year. For Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think the expectations are a little bit higher and he's probably got very high expectations himself. He's coming in to take somebody's minutes. I don't know if he's ready for that. And in the first preseason game, we saw the scoring was there, but the passing wasn't. And if he's looking to get that backup point guard role, 
can't be having four turnovers in a game, only one assist, because he's trying to pass through three, four pairs of arms, which is only going to lead to a turnover. But he is gunning for a solid rotation spot. I think by the end of the season, you'll actually see him in that. He's a very good shooter, but he can create for others by also attacking the basket. One of the things that really stood out to me in summer league with him was he can finish around the rim with both his left and right hand. He's pretty ambidextrous with that, which really creates open shooters, whether it's in the corners or behind him for kickout passes. I think he could create a lot for others, create some easy offense and create some spacing that way too. Yeah, and Jake, so you're you're talking about some of the younger players, and I'm, I'm very curious to get your take on this because you're an L.A. guy. So you've probably watched Lonzo and Ingram a good bit, and Hart maybe as well, when they were over for the Lakers. Who was your favorite player in that trade? You know, I think I kind of fall in line with everyone where it was Lonzo Ball. You know, the, the jump shot's not there. There's a couple of other issues that could really creep up and really hurt him. But, man, the defense that he can bring to the team is very good. Uh, he's a very solid rebounder for the point guard position, which for a team that wants to push it in transition where you just grab a rebound and go, having him be the guy that gets that rebound and then starts that transition, starts that fast break, I think does wonders for some easy offense for this team. And they're kind of playing then that gentry style of offense that they want. So I'm big on him from those two perspectives. He seems like a guy who can really understand where uh, his teammates want to get the ball too. And I think that's sometimes an underrated aspect of being a point guard. Chris Paul was excellent at this. He knew where David West wanted to get the ball, not just on the court and the spots that he wanted, but where in his body to make that shot just a little bit easier, where he starts his gather for a jumper. Lonzo kind of strikes me in that same vein too, that he's such a smart guy, he can make everyone's life easier by just playing some smart basketball and making some really smart passes. The jumper is a concern. The form has looked good-ish in training camp so far, but it's still drifting over to his left side, which has been a big issue with that. But the release is significantly quicker. I'm worried about his free throw stroke. This is a guy who shoots sub 50% from the line. That's horrible. He doesn't drive to the basket nearly enough, and I think it's because he's too afraid of getting fouled and going to the free throw line and missing this. This is a guy who had five drives to the basket per game last season. That's the same number as each one more. That's not going to get it done in this offense. That's not really going to get it done in any offense. And you don't want to be stuck playing four on five offensively because teams are sagging off of him just not respecting his offensive game. But man, he he just drips in potential. You saw it in the first preseason game against Atlanta. He's got some instant chemistry with Zion Williamson. And so if you can throw them out there with the defense Lonzo provides, you know, and it frees up Drew Holiday just to be Drew Holiday, which we saw against Atlanta too with 21 points. I think that's huge for this team overall. Yeah, and it's funny you talked about uh, basically his his shot form and how it might drift over to the left more than they'd like it to. It's sort of an interesting position because the shooting, clearly, like you said, is a, is going to be a problem if it sustains the way that it has early in his career. You know, and I'm I'm of the mindset that I want to see the form consistent and the results later. But I think you know there's a part of that where if it takes long enough, you know, he might be branded as something and and maybe not. You know, maybe that'll affect him in ways that we we really wouldn't want. I mean, do you? Do you see this as something that's going to be a long-term issue or do you like if you were betting man right now like what would you say the percent chances that he you know within 3 years develops a respectable outside shot You know uh, it 
I guess it kind of depends on what you think respectable could be. Like he very easily could shoot 36, 37% from deep this year. You know, he shot three of eight against Atlanta, including that one nasty step back that he had um, off the dribble, which was pretty great to see. Like that's fine. And he took pretty high volume in that game too. Eight three pointers is something that if you hit three of them, it's not 40%, which is probably the number you really want to be going after, but it's enough of a volume that maybe keeps defenses on like oh god this guy can actually hit some of these he's gonna take eight of them if he hits two or three that could kind of change the game in the Pelicans favor we've got to guard him out on the perimeter and that opens things up for Zion a little bit more and so I think it's kind of a combination of the percentage but also the volume when you have a guy who's a really good three-point shooter but they only take two a game I don't know if that bends the court with the same type of gravity as someone who maybe shoots a little bit less uh, from deep but takes significantly more volume and so I think that's kind of trying to find the right balance between the two is really important for Lonzo. Redoing his shot and retooling it and relearning it, which is the way he's described it, is not an easy thing to do. It takes a ton and a ton of reps. And now you're going to be in the season where your legs are going to be tired. You get practices in between games if you get that at all. And it's not as easy to keep that form consistent. We've seen him try to keep it consistent, but it keeps in the middle of games and in the middle of that scrimmage they had at the open practice, drifting over to the left where it blocks his vision where he gets the guide hand on that ball way more than he should because he's got it in such of an awkward spot. So I don't know if he's going to be, you know, an elite outside shooter. As long as he can be decent enough with the right volume, though, I think it'll work in this offense for what they're looking to do. Yeah, you see teams in the playoffs really... It's actually the opposite of clamping down, but they clamp down on defense. But when you have a player like Lonzo Ball who may not be a threat from uh, in terms of shooting outside they kind of uh just kind of let him have that shot and it, he that needs to be something that needs to be addressed before the playoffs in my opinion when the defense gets a lot of stronger and smarter uh you don't want to have Lonzo Ball just kind of sitting there like we saw last year where teams were kind of daring him to shoot the Pelicans like, did it to him he I think was like yeah. 3 of 15 in a game because they just went like go do your yeah. thing man and just played eight feet off of him and it and he didn't yeah. beat them and that's exactly what and that, that's probably the game I have stuck in my head right then that I've seen Lonzo Ball but Last night, I mean, hey, it's preseason. You want to use that time to be working on your stroke there. And last night, you know, only nine points. But like you said, eight three-pointers. I love that he's working on it. He seemed to shoot a lot more without hesitation, which is good. Um, And he also, he fills up the box score in other ways. There's seven assists, five rebounds, one block shot. Uh, That was all in 25 minutes. So we've talked about Lonzo here. Uh, let's talk about Drew Holiday's game a little. Uh, he played 18 minutes last night against Atlanta. Uh, 21 points. He was very efficient. Seven of nine. Uh, four of four free throws. Three assists. Two blocks. One rebound. One steal. Three three-pointers. Uh, Drew Holiday really filled it up yesterday in limited time. Is this a sign of things to come from a statistical perspective? Bearing in mind that you know, HoopBall.com is, a, is primarily a fantasy basketball website. 
Yeah, I, I think so. You know, this is a guy who is either going to be the leading scorer, the second leading scorer on this team. And, you know, he's kind of in prime position to be the guy and to lead this team in shots per game. And we've seen what he's capable of doing when you have him working in that two guard spot, not being the primary point guard and worried about creating for others, but looking just to create offense on his own. And he does a really good job. Go back to the Portland series two years ago where the Pelicans swept the Trailblazers in the first round. And one game, I think he scored 34. In the closeout game four, he had over 40 points in that one, or it was 40 exactly. This is a dude who's capable of getting to the cup and scoring. And if his three-point shot is a little bit more consistent the past two years, it hasn't been great, hasn't been horrible, but it certainly hasn't been good. He can really, you know, be that go-to score. You know, I think in the playoffs, he was taking 23, 24 shots per game, basically tied or beaten out AD by one or two. And we saw what he's capable of. So we know what he can do offensively. We know what he's capable of doing defensively, too. He was harassing Trey Young in the third quarter in particular in their first preseason game. And, you know, he's going to give it to you on both sides. Like, he's the guy I'm, like, least worried about. Like, he's going to go out, he's going to do his thing, get you 21 to 26 points per game, probably average somewhere in there. And he's going to be in line for, you know, borderline all-star season, I think. If he was in the East, he'd be a lock to make it. Yeah, so we've gone this far without talking extensively about Zion. So, so give me your impressions yeah, that's about. A right <laughs> yeah, give me your impressions about Zion last night. He looked good. Um, you know, he kind of did exactly what you thought he was going to do. He's going to go strong to the basket. And he's going to score, whether it's with a monstrous dunk. But this guy has a lot of finesse, too, and a lot of control over his body, where you saw him kind of just almost like float in air and contort around guys to kind of lay it in a couple of times. I think the biggest thing offensively is he's got to work on that jumper. It's not great. It at least had a little bit more lift and was a little bit quicker than what we saw in the, you know his nine minutes or eleven minutes in summer league, whatever it ended up being, um, he's got to work on that. But the Pelicans have a number of creative ways to get him the ball, so I'm not worried about him going out and you know having a bad game jump shooting. He's going to be able to score pretty regularly in the NBA, whether that's off of dribble handoffs, whether that's off kind of pistol actions to the left and right side, which you saw, which I think got him his first dunk um, off of kind of a dribble handoff, more like a backwards lateral or something like that to him. If the Pelicans can get him a full head of steam going downhill towards the basket, there's no one in the NBA that's going to be able to stop him. And they showed off a variety of ways to do it. Even as almost like a, a, a trailing cut man, you had Kenrich Williams drive and attack. Three guys converged on him and he just kind of turned around and Zion was right there. Already had taken two or three steps, gotten his momentum going. Kenrich kind of tossed him the ball and just, you've got to get out of Zion's way at that point. And so they have a number of ways they're going to be able to create very easy offense for him. He looks very good in the pick and roll with Lonzo Ball. I was surprised at the screen setting and how good that was for him for a rookie. But this is a dude who, you know, is 6'8", I guess, in shoes, 6'6", six, six without, and is huge. As long as he stands there, no one's going to be able to knock him over, and he should be able to set some pretty good screens. So overall, I thought that was going to kind of be what you expect out of him offensively and what we're going to see from him kind of all year long. Defensively, he was a little bit lost in at times. I think part of that's because they're integrating that new defensive scheme that, you know, he's also a rookie. So all of these guys were kind of lost defensively at times. Uh, that should come. He has all the tools to be really, really good. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. And I thought that's just kind of like a perfect encapsulation of what we're going to see this year from him. 
Yeah, I mean, he played more minutes than I thought he was going to last night in the first preseason game. I think the Pelicans kind of wanted to get him out there uh, after, you know, not really playing during the summer league. Uh, 28 minutes is pretty much almost a full game for Zion Williamson, and it might even be. Uh, 16 points, he was 6 of 13 field goals, 4 of 7 free throws, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, and uh, I think he actually played more minutes than any other Pelican player last night, which was I, I thought was pretty surprising just because, you know, you, know you, you always try to – you know, preserve your precious jewels, I guess, in the preseason where, you know, you don't want to overextend them pretty much. Uh, but, yeah, he had a couple of highlights. Uh, I was pretty impressed with Zion. And like you said, it was pretty much what we expect to see. One thing that I loved uh, just watching him that I've never really talked about before on this podcast, but it's just one of the little things that Zion do- does that I really love is that he – you know how when you're playing in <laughs> – you're a kid and one of the things that everybody teaches you or all your coaches teach you is to follow your shots. Um, That's done less and less in the NBA now because of such fast transition. It can kind of put you out of position. Uh, Like I know Russell Westbrook, of course, will follow his shots, but, uh, but I love how Zion will follow his short shots. And when he knows that they might miss, he really crashes the board aggressively and that's something he times those jumps perfectly. And that's something I noticed he did a couple of times last night when he threw up a shot he thought he might miss. He either would, was able to get his own offensive rebound or get very close to it and at least contest for it. And I'm just always very impressed by somebody with that type of hustle. He, he's a guy that's going to be a monster on both the defensive glass and the offensive glass. And just with his athleticism and strength, and like this dude has instincts like I've never seen before in an NBA player. Uh, and that's what I think is going to really lead him to a lot of defensive success. He can just get around anyone trying to box him out with the quick, quickness, or he is so good at timing his jump, he'll just grab it over you uh, and kind of risk a foul with that. But man, it's just impossible to try and keep this guy off the, off the offense glass or the defensive glass he's just a monster really it's like the best way to put it yeah what were your impressions on Melly? man so i was really high on him after the open practice that the team had and look you shouldn't read too much into that there was like no defense being played at that scrimmage but he just moves like an nba player i think is the best way to do it like you just watch him and you're like yeah that guy's doing all of the things you want to see from him his shot wasn't falling at all in the game against atlanta he's one for six or he's one of six from deep and was worse shooting than that and he had a plus minus of like plus 26 plus 29 which you don't want to read too much into in preseason but he's clearly doing something that has a very positive impact and it just jumps out at you he's a guy that's a pretty good rebounder so if he grabs a board he's got kind of those euro big handles where he just goes okay I'll go up the court now and we can start our offense and get into either early offense in the half court or try and push for a fast break when the ball gets to him he feels comfortable trying to pass at media day he said he likes to try and be a second point guard so you never feel like the offense is going to stall when the ball hits his hands. He should have a three-point shot, having been a great player, great shooter in Europe. Overall, like there's just a ton to like from him. He's shockingly funny, too. He was all into it as well at the open practice, singing the song that all the rookies had to. And this is a 28-year-old rookie in the NBA, but he's been a pro for 13 years, so he's not quite on wow. the same level as some of these other guys. I don't know. Like That could be one of those signings that ends up being really, really good for New Orleans, even if the stats don't jump out at you. 
But also, I think it could pave the way for some really great success in the future. And David Griffin alluded to this. And it's something that Trajan Langdon is, in, is really good at. And that's scouting overseas. And it seems like those Euro-type players just feel very comfortable and at home in New Orleans. And they want to kind of develop a pipeline for those guys when they come over to the NBA to come over to the Pelicans. And if Melly can kind of be the start of that, I think that's going to pay off you know, years down the line for New Orleans and consistently. Yeah, he was bigger than I thought, too. Yeah, and you had mentioned, Jake, uh, you had talked about how, like, you don't want to go wild based on a preseason game. But I'm curious, you know, given that you did watch the preseason game, given that you did watch the open practice and you've been around a whole lot, you know, from what you've seen so far, what are your expectations for the Pelicans this year? You know, it's so it's tough because the Western Conference is like freakishly hard this year. And basically, I think the only team you can count out fully would be the Memphis Grizzlies, maybe the Phoenix Suns, but their rosters improved and they should have a decent head coach, at least in Monty Williams. So that kind of complicates things a little bit here because. You know, you're just not going to have very many easy games. The Pelicans' uh, schedule to start the year is pretty tough. And with so many new faces on this team, they're still going to be trying out a lot and trying to figure out what works and what's going to be successful, which means you're going to see some wonky lineups out there that probably play way too many minutes, but they're just trying to get enough data, uh, you know, and enough film to kind of figure out does Zion need to be paired next to Derek Favors or is he better paired next to a stretch big like Nicolo Melli? So you're going to see some weird things go on. And I think that means they're not going to get off to the best start. Their defense is going to take a while to come together, too. I think they're going to be a significantly improved team at the end of the season. I just don't feel comfortable putting them into the playoffs just yet. That's why that Vegas over-under of uh, 38.5 wins kind of feels right to me. I lean towards the over on that if things go really, really well and some of these guys come together um, a little bit sooner rather than later. But, man, it's going to be tough. Like, you know, maybe they're a playoff team. I don't think so. But I think they're going to be a team that has a really bright future that you feel really good about at the end of the year. Does that make kind of some sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's actually that's pretty much exactly how I felt about the team and said on the on a previous podcast, I believe it was episode three. Uh, I think we're slightly above our Vegas over under right now. And uh, I I'm not I'm not as ambitious to put us in the playoffs yet as a seven or eight. But I do think we'll finish right on the cusp around nine or ten. And I know that doesn't sound great at all, but you mentioned it. it it's the Western Conference. It's just stacked. I mean, it's it's probably never been better than it is right now. And it's just unfortunate that the Pelicans, while they are doing a lot of positive things, uh, it might – not only will it might take them a, a year or two to gel, but also it might take a year or two just for the Western Conference to maybe get a little bit worse. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Like, it's more wide open than it's ever been, but it's also wide open because there's so many good teams. Not that just right. the Warriors aren't as dominant as they've been in years past, which is probably going to hurt a young team that's still coming together, like New Orleans. Yeah, and so yeah, and hey, I'm the only optimist ahead, here. <laughs> when we had Shamit on, yeah, he was apparently. saying, "Yeah, y'all three, so you, Shamit, and Nick, were all like, we're not making the playoffs, or we not, we don't think that that's necessarily the baseline for it." And uh, I'm like, right, I, I'm above that. I'm, I'm a little bit more, I guess, of a homer than y'all are. So I'm, <laughs> I thought I was skeptical, but I, maybe I'm not. Well, no, hey, we hope that you're right. We would like to be Certainly, wrong. Certainly, yeah. Well, I hope right, that I'm yeah. right. I'm hope that <laughs> so, I'm right regardless of whether or not it, it like, is yeah. with Pelicans winning or not. But anyway. 
Yeah, I'm excited for the season. And, and Jake, I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Thank you so much to the audience for tuning in to On the Fly, the official New Orleans Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, in-flight insight for the sharpest Pella fans. And th- thank you so much to our guest, Jake Madison. You can find him on Twitter, at Nola Jake. I don't know how he got that uh, Twitter handle before <laughs> anybody else. That's very impressive right there. That alone should be a reason you should follow him. But uh, he's also on the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Uh, you know, all you have to do is Google Locked On Pelicans podcast and you will find that immediately. Uh, remember, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to On The Fly and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You can also follow me and Michael on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans and I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. Please tune in next week and block up Pelicans. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.